Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Age of Enfrightenment podcast. I am your co-host, Theo, here with my also co-host, Nick. Oh, I thought you were going to say host. I thought I, I thought I got to be the host and you were the... Mm. Because I came, oh. I, I made the name and I'm playing the guitar. And uh, The way I remembered, I made the name. I don't, I don't know. I mean, Dave. Mm. So we're here with our good friend, uh, Dave, and uh, we're going to be speaking with him about... Diabolos in Musica and other sorts of things. Uh, we're talking about the spookiness that comes out of auditory experiences. So in music and in sounds that strange sounds that are unexplained in the world, and, and uh, we're going to hit a bunch of different topics and and uh, see where we land and what crazy ideas we have that probably aren't true, but they sound good at the time. So before we get into all of that, let's just take a minute to talk about why this is something that would interest us. You know, the idea of strange sounds and their effects on the psyche. So Nick, you want to take the lead on that one? Sure, yeah. Um, so, so originally when we were coming up with topics for this, Theo and I were kind of exchanging articles that we read and, and things that interest us anyway, things that we, we know a little bit about. And I found an interesting article on Medium about about the occult in rock and roll, and, and it got this idea in my head where that could be a whole episode, and it's actually sort of transformed, and, and we're going to be talking about a lot more than just that. But for me, I think um, the occult in general has such an obvious connection to to music and and at a very young age the things that got me into macabre stories even just reading things and things like that the first connection was always music um if if i mean it could be as simple as like a spooky song in a disney movie and then sort of upgrading to you know listening to heavy metal or things like that and and it just drew me in that there are certain sounds that they just kind of crawl under your skin and, and stay there and it, it made me want to explore that subject because there's a lot of scientific things that go into exploring what that really means. Um, so so I, I think in, in rock and roll, it was an easy way to dive in at first because it's so overt. It's such like an American tradition that even bands that don't see that you wouldn't think of as gothic are have these sort of nods to the occult and to Satan. Um, and I think there's just something very, especially American about that in our culture and, and it shows through on our music. So I wanted to kind of explore that a little bit. How about you, Theodore? Well, going into the science behind this kind of thing, you know, obviously uh, I am very obsessed with the occult. That's why I'm part of a podcast dealing with spooky shit. And occult as well, like an actual cult. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's going really well. Um, we worship the black sky. <laughs> Anyways, um, as much as I love the occult, there's very few paranormal things that I actually believe in. It's all very fascinating to me, but it's not something that I put a lot of um, faith in. And something, one of the aspects that I love about it is finding out the, the root of these different beliefs that people have um, and these experiences that people have and the actual scientific backing behind it. Um, and it turns out that weird, strange sounds account for a lot of things. You know, the way that people process sounds isn't always just, you know, you hear something and it goes in your ear and it registers. There's a lot more to it than that. And it can explain a lot of things. You know, what we think of as um, hauntings by ghosts could just be sounds from underground where right. leaky pipes and exactly yeah. um but the results are very real you know that what it ha what it does oh, to it a person. causes very yeah. real very quantifiable yeah. reactions in people yeah who that, could actually lose their minds or oh absolutely you know, kill their family or you know and that's pay their taxes fascinating things like, yeah it's it's um it's pretty dark stuff and um in regards to the occult and paranormal uh, involved in rock and roll music, you know, I grew up with rock and roll. That's that's my bread and butter. Um, and you make money with rock and roll. <laughs> All right, wrong. So, Shut the it's fuck part up. of the cult. Wrong it's the black, it's the black sky right. thing. I'm really so, yeah, into rock know. music. <laughs> rock and roll. Anyways, um, you know, and when I was like in sixth, seventh grade, one of the appeals 
of something like Black Sabbath or Metallica was that because like yeah these guys are really dark and they're really into this shady stuff and then you get older and you find out no they just knew how to move product yeah and, and it's sad well and I think it's more than that too I think they gen genuinely liked it but for probably the same reasons it's it's a surface thing because for me I, I, I agree I don't have this sort of deep rooted belief in a lot of these things but uh, I love Satan. He's my boy. I, I love the idea. I am a big fan I, of I Satan. Lo I love the idea of Satan, and He's I, just, and I just always had, and I always had, um, and I feel like rock is such it's such an easiest easy way to get into that, um, because I think as iconography, there's something, there's a, for a lot of there are a lot of ways, and this is a little off subject, but there's a lot of things that I think don't make sense about why, in in such a nominally Christian nation there is so much demonic things in pop culture and it, and it kind of makes sense because it's the forbidden fruit but i think there's something very american about the idea of satan this like representative of rebellion and and independence and and you know going to catholic school like like theo and i did you know it's there's so much of it is about submission and then there's something about satan that is so obviously the opposite and when you're young all you want to do is just go against everything. It's just, it's just completely natural and, and it's in your head. And then when you start to hear and learn about these things, it just makes sense. It's like, Oh, he sounds so much more fun than the other guy. I mean, it's, you hear about, you, you learn these things and you're kind of taught. And, and I feel like so many of us come out of that sort of education thinking, no, but that other stuff sounded way more fun. By the way, if this is your first time tuning in and you have any questions, yes, we absolutely are a Satanist podcast, and we want you to be part of that too. We wanted to ease everybody in, but I, I think uh, I think that I think we've lubed, we've lubed them up and they're ready to go. All right. But I think maybe, but before we go any further into that, let's uh, we'll we'll give we'll give give Dave the floor here a little bit, Dave. So what's your sort of. Um, take on all of this stuff. And yeah, what's explain your, it all, Clarissa. What's your interest, <laughs> your interest in this? All right, so just like Theo, as I'll call him for ease of use on this, um, I'm into everything occult. Um, very skeptical about all of it, but I find it fascinating. Quick um, side note, Dave and I actually met because we were going to college together, and what originally got us together was bonding over our love of Stephen King and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Yeah. And that's kind of how we started our relationship. Yeah, I, I was this and then it moved to a more physical place. Mathematician, yeah. and Ed was my only friend. And later, it came out that I actually had severe schizophrenia. Um, <laughs> it was made into a film. <laughs> um, but Can so you get, I yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna keep that vein going, but I think <laughs> we, we I think the bit died before it really took yeah, off. Yeah. <laughs> steam halfway through it. Put a bullet in that uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, I'm very fascinated by all of it. Um, I got sucked way in deep to the whole Robert Johnson mythos of him selling his soul for untold blues power. Right. Um, again, I don't know if I buy any of this, right. but I love it. Now, well, my, Expand on that a little bit. Because uh, he, he's like, so he's the, uh, the origin of sort of the 27 Club. Yeah, Robert Johnson is, you, you know, if you're not familiar with him and you look up one of his songs, you're, there's a good chance you're going to turn it off right away because it's not going to sound like anything by today's standard that's great. But Robert Johnson is a blues musician from just around 1910, I believe yeah. it is. And this guy completely redefined the genre. Um, people like Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix uh, really credit him as being like the founder of blues rock. Um, it was great. Which of course just, I mean, spider webs into oh, a lot of things it, that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Black Sabbath, and yeah. there's a direct line um, now, from, from him to them. Now, aside from him being incredible, the reason Robert Johnson has this, this occult allure to him is apparently he sold his soul for that talent. Um, and a bunch of his songs, Crossroad, Blue, uh, Crossroad yeah. Blues, Me and the Devil Me Blues, the Devil yeah. Blues Me and the Devil. Um, are all very specific... Uh, references to selling your souls under the 
really specific guidelines for doing it, uh, like it having to be at a crossroads. And, and that's something that goes back for, you know, generations, the idea of the crossroads yeah. being a sort of nexus point, you know, yeah, that goes you back think, to yeah, yeah. The, the Greeks, the, mm. the goddess of the, of the night, Hecate, she would appear at the crossroads. Right, and it just, and it's worked its way in every folklore, and, you know, in, in America, with Nathaniel Hawthorne writing Young Goodman Brown, it explores that further, and every, it feels like every generation of people has found that story or stories that they can connect that idea to, and it's, um, so it's this very kind of time-honored tradition that, that I think maybe he brought into music, at least overtly, more than 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 had ever been done. Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was very upfront. Um, it, it was not subtle at all. No, um, it's right there in the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean the reason it was so impressive is you know this wasn't on nowadays when you can hop online and find out what let's say hellhounds are um this was at a time when, when these were all lesser known topics and robert johnson was putting them smack into blues lyrics at yeah. a time when like this the, this was a big deal mind you he didn't really gain fame no. uh, until after he died but i mean it was just a, a slightly strange thing for a blues player to do in a very blunt, straightforward yeah. way. Yeah, in a time where a lot of that, at least those stories and that knowledge was reserved to academia and then little, and then pocket sects oh, yeah. of, of, of mystical occult groups like Aleister Crowley's group. And, and these people were sort of the gatekeepers of these things. And it's kind of like, how's this sort of Southern, you know, American guy who sings the blues, this sort of like really like kind of grassroots um, take on the blues, uh, you know, getting his hands on this on this content. Oh yeah, and he he came apparently, he came into talent very quickly, which is supposed to coincide with the whole he sold his soul aspect of it. Um, it, it seems like in a matter of of it minutes. Yeah, like <laughs> now, mind you, there. I forget who it is. It might have been Sunhouse um, actually claims that he trained him uh, in a graveyard over the course of two years. However, that that hasn't been completely backed up, and there's still a lot of mystery around it. Like anything else on the internet like this, it's really hard to find solid facts. They yeah, can't the, even tell you exactly where he's buried. He's buried in three locations. Right. Um, <laughs> And, and this being an early episode, I think it's definitely uh, important to point out that we're not experts. With we're just trying to kind of... We're fascinated by this stuff and we want right. to talk about it. But, you know, as is one of the great dilemmas of our time, with all of the information at our fingertips, it's like we have less. <laughs> you know, we've, yeah. spent, we've spent a lot of time today well, looking so into these things and we've, we've gone down a lot of... Dead end There's so much of it out there yeah. that it's hard to understand which is legit and which is just bull. Um, but coming back to Robert Johnson, he died young, too. Yeah. That's another thing. Well, he was the first 27, yeah, right? Yeah, he was yeah, the first 27-year-old right. uh, who famously died. That's uh, Being 27, that is wild to me. Thinking musicians like Robert Johnson and yeah. Cobain and Tupac, Jim Morrison, all they have accomplished yeah. in their life, and yeah. then there's me. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah, I mean I'm I'm a week away from turning twenty eight, and yeah. it's it's crazy to think of because when I was younger, I was, I mean from a very young age, but, but it's it's you know Kurt Cobain's perfect segue because Nirvana was the first band I really got into. Up until that point, I listened to whatever my parents listened to or my sister listened to. So it was a mixture of, it was a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, mostly Boy George and like real deep deep cuts too, but um. But mostly Springsteen and Seeger, and then my sister listened to InSync and the Backstreet Boys, and it's like, well, whatever was on in the house, that's what music was. Nirvana was the first band where I thought, this is mine. This is in this household. I this is representative of me. And from that point forward, I, I thought I would I would love you know to live this life. And I learned about that myth, the twenty seven, you know, sell your soul, and you've got that many years, you know, of fame and of of living your dream. And I remember very distinctly being as old as like thirteen, thinking that that wouldn't be so bad, if if I had if I could take a crack at it, I'd be like, yeah, well, if I could like kind of make it by twenty, 
and have seven solid years of just living the coolest life, making amazing music, I would do that. And now being on the brink of 28 and still thinking about how incredibly young I feel, it's, it's, uh, it's, I understand where the allure is for young people of that myth. And then when you get there, it's kind of, it just seems so preposterous and so, and such a, like you're almost, I'm almost afraid of my own former self that I thought that that might be a good option. <laughs> and when you're a kid, you know, 27 seems so yeah, I mean, yeah. too. And, you know, I mean, Danny Tanner was 30 when a full house started, so, you really? know, he was like the crypt keeper, wow. so. <laughs> yeah, about that. But, yeah, um, yeah, 27 seems so much older, and even now, like, as I'm Kurt Cobain's age, I will see, like, interviews with him and, like, pictures, and he just still feels, like, so much more adult. Yeah, he still right seems now. older, you know, even yeah, when you see pictures of him as scrawny little 24-year-old who, who just looks... He still looks fresh faced, but because you recognize the face from a younger time, he'll, he's always going to be older than you, no Absolutely. matter how old you Absolutely. get. Um, so yeah, I think I think we're getting a little bit off, but but I that's goddamn Kurt Cobain. That's sort of important, but I mean that's I think that's important because that is such a mainstream thing. Everybody knows about the Twenty Seven Club. Mm-hmm. Everybody has had a stoner friend in, in college who had a poster of Jim Morrison. Yeah, and and the and the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah, so that was Dave. That's Dave Shrugs, um, very but, but you know, sitting in the diner in in Nighthawks painting and like they're just like, hey, this is what we do now. We just for eternity we all hang out in this diner because we're all super smart musicians. Uh, the, and we're dead. The other, the other aspect of this that I got into, um, I work as a sound engineer at a at a larger East Coast studio. So you drive the train. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you know we have very high end equipment there, and there were a bunch of nights where I was working and, and mixing music, where I noticed especially when working with lower frequency material, I would actually get spooked. This is uh, a nice studio. There's nothing spooky about it. Uh, but You've I checked find... for boogans. You've, yeah. you've looked in all of the, the crawl spaces. Yeah, I found at night at, at 2 in the morning, I'll uh, be zipping to my car like a little bit quicker than I should be. Um, mm. And that's when I started to really explore what sound can do mm. to you. And of course, I'm sure we'll touch on it later, yeah. uh, what low frequency sound can do. But um, yeah, the, the, the actual science of how sound affects our mind is, is a really interesting topic that, that isn't like a, a slow burn. I'll yeah. show you guys later. Like, like how these kind of things can immediately change your yeah mind. yeah if you start to think about the direct route that you have to to your whole self you know your brain that's that's you your everything else your heart your, i mean that's your that's the machine you're driving but your brain is you and and your your eardrums are just this direct route to get right in there and affect how everything is working and when you think about it in those terms it's it's a pretty kind of cosmically terrifying feeling of because you're surrounded by sound almost none of it do you control or have any power of of stopping or starting and and when you think about those terms it, it really to me it's made the theme of sound really fascinating in pop culture when you talk when uh or in movies when they use that and when you think about things like in promotional movies when you know cloverfield one of the most powerful parts of that marketing scheme was, uh, or scheme, that's awful, marketing, uh, <laughs> marketing <laughs> campaign. campaign, uh, was, yeah, well, they tricked us into seeing it, I think, but, um, was that Might sound, they played that sound, and it's just the Cloverfield sound, yeah. and there's something about it that's so disquieting and, and alluring at the same time, and I think we're gonna get into some stuff, some atonal stuff as we talk, and there's, it's something that gets used a lot because it has an appeal, but the science will show us and, and people's reactions will show us that certain sounds leave people feeling, feeling very uncomfortable or very scared, and yet we use them all the time. So there's clearly an appeal there, and that's what we want to kind of dive into. Why are we actively seeking out? Why are we doing this? Why, are, why have we spent the past you know two hours <laughs> listening to things that make us feel uncomfortable? So, uh, so that's what we're going to get into. Um, I think that I think you know we've got we've got a bunch of subjects to hit. Uh, I don't know if you guys you know we can talk about mystery booms. Why don't um, we um, Why don't we open with uh, Triton? I think uh, yeah I think that's actually perfect. Yeah, so we are ta- since we are talking about music, 
Um, we can get into that a little bit. Uh, one of the things, one of immediate things that I wanted to talk about this because I already sort of knew a little bit about it was in 1970, the first Black Sabbath album came out, self-titled, and self-titled uh, track one. Now, if you're not sure who Black Sabbath is, that is music that mommies and daddies listen to. Yes, yeah. Also Nick and Theo. We have no idea what our what our listenership is going to be yet. Um, so if you are in grade school, uh, Black Sabbath is a group of guys who will be dead soon. Um, but they're brilliant musicians, at least in my opinion, and uh, they, they cut this record and they started as a blues band. So Black Sabbath started as Earth, and they really just wanted to play the blues. They played a lot of covers in England, and you know it was sort of a thing that was just starting to take off there. And there were other English bands like Cream that they were super um, influenced by. Cream, of course, or Clapton's band. And they were playing around with sounds that a lot of people just weren't hearing in, in popular music. And right off the bat, they they made a very conscious move, um, maybe not as conscious as they even realized, to set a tone for basically their career. And they, they employed, uh, Tony Iommi, the, the lead guitarist, employed a tritone, um, which there's a whole bunch of technical things that we can sort of get into or touch upon, but the layman's idea is that it's a dissonant sound. So it's, it's an interval in music where you're going to combine two tones that to the, to the common ear is going to sound wrong. It's going to sound improper or like someone missed a note. Um, it doesn't follow along the scale that, that you normally, the chromatic scale that you normally expect to hear and that most pop music will sort of steer away from. But it's since become it's it's a bible in in heavy metal and in anything kind of uh macabre in music so they i can actually play the notes um that they play it's a it's actually a good way to explain this is a g major chord happy sounding now if i go to a minor it immediately invokes a different feel uh yeah, it, it's, there's something, I always find it, there's something sharp and sort of biting about a minor chord. Um, I, when I think about my favorite songs, they're songs that, despite the content, a lot of people might listen to and think this sounds kind of sad. Um, but it's not so much that as it's, there's a depth to a minor chord, I think, yeah. that, that that's just gonna, it's gonna take you to a certain cerebral place i mean you might hear this and think like oh my god i just pictured my ex-girlfriend in the day that she left me and that's so you're gonna get a lot of minor chords in emo songs and things denise. like that because <laughs> denise why did you leave <laughs> yeah so if you have so maybe you're maybe uh you are 14 and one day you're just gonna be strumming <laughs> Just sitting in your room, strumming an A minor, and crying about your girlfriend, and nobody and understands your me. Your parents will be worried, but it'll make you feel better because you're 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 strumming your pain with your fingers. Yeah, but you know those those two variations of chords can show how even with no musical experience, right. people know what music sounds like. Right. And in the case of the tritone, it's something that knowing nothing about music will be the equivalent of nails on a chart. Right, so so we're, we'll, I'll play it now. So if, if we kind of stick with something, so like let's say I play in, uh, you know, like a major chord for on like an A and then a an A minor. Now compare the feeling that both of those have with the first three notes of Black Sabbath. So that's a tritone, and the tritone's really so. Um, when we're working with that that G, that's the same note, just an octave up. Um, but then when we go into this, that's where we that's where we hit the tritone. So you can see it's really those two notes, and it's something that since then has become ubiquitous in dark music, um, and it's so obvious, and it's one of those kind of crazy things that. You don't need to know anything about that. I could play this. I could play this to a young child, and they would know that that's scary. 
Um, and that's the kind of thing that we're exploring here. That's a thing that's in our brains. It, it's, it doesn't need to be learned. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's primeval. It's, it's this sort of preternatural, well, preternatural response. I think what, um, what it is, is that, um, and I have read studies about this, that we are naturally inclined to be wary of low sounds like that because it evokes, um, predators. You know, well, yeah, so that's the thing. So it's it's low, but it's also, it's the progression. Because, um, I mean, we could go down to, you know, the, the deepest note on a guitar uh, as, an, as an E. And if we, if we join it as a major chord, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be threatening at all. Um, but it's this sort of combination. I mean, if you played a tritone as a chord... I mean that they're right right off the bat there it's setting a tone and yeah I, I think there's something to that another thing that we that we had talked about was um a shepherd what was shepherd it tone. Oh, the shepherd tone yeah. She, yeah yeah so it's essentially you create that with a tritone um i think looking it up it seemed like there are different ways to create it but a shepherd tone is essentially if you played this sustained chord of of two two dissonant notes it's going to create an effect that sounds like it's descending and or ascending almost simultaneously and it's not actually moving anywhere sound yes exactly so it's 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 a it's an it's an illusion which is really cool because we i feel like when we're in school we we go to the school library and you pull out all of the different books on optical illusions and it's so trippy and everybody loses their mind and it's something that there are you know there have been exhibits at at museums and things but people don't speak quite as often about auditory illusions and they are sometimes so much more fascinating because there's something about a 2D image that even if it's creating an illusion, the fact that we can get really close to it and break it down visually makes us a little more comfortable when, when the curtain opens and we say, oh, that's how you did that. But a lot of auditory illusions, when you try to dive into them, you still find yourself saying, yeah, I don't get it though. Why does it, why does it sound like it's doing that when it's not? I get that it's not, but I still don't understand. And that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that a shepherd tone will do. And I think a lot of what we're going to talk about is is things that could actually drive you crazy. Um, so I, yeah, so I think you were you were talking to us about the, the the decibels. So I think we could maybe get back into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you, do you want to talk about decibels or frequency? Uh, dealer's choice, man. All right, let's. It's all really sexy stuff, so. <laughs> All right, we'll jump into frequency first. Like I said, low, low frequency sound can have an effect on the human mind. Now, it's so it's so apparent that this is actually used in a lot of horror films. Um, I have to try to explain a, a, a spectrum analyzer to everybody. To you have fifteen seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so. Imagine a graph uh, going from left to right. A giraffe? Yeah, a giraffe. Okay. Imagine a giraffe going that's, from left that's to much, right. That's much. We've got some listeners who are like, yeah, giraffe, that's All right, I see where they're going. That's my, that's my chance. Um, sound is measured on a, a spectrum analyzer. It's a frequency that has a big wave. Um, so even if I lean over to your guitar, even though that's just a single note, if you saw that on a frequency analyzer, it would show up across the entire board. Um, when we EQ, we cut frequencies out. Uh, we have to do that because some frequencies EQ are as in equalize. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Some some frequencies are pleasing, others aren't. So on the lower end of the spectrum, um, you know, anywhere from ten to usually about 50 hertz 
is considered extremely low frequency. Most speakers don't even go lower than, than 30 hertz. Basically, if you're looking at a frequency analyzer, the lower frequency sounds have a, a, an effect on humans that cause anxiety. Um, as I said before, they use it a lot in horror films. When you hear that low rumble during really high tension scenes, they're absolutely utilizing, uh, it's called psychoacoustics. I'm not trying to throw out a bunch of uh, terms at you guys, but... So like in um, Paranormal Activity, anytime the demon is active, there's that low hum sound. Oh yeah, yeah, There, there's a hum, and it's specifically that frequency. Now they, they use, again, not to like nerd out here, everything from like 10 to 80. And in a little bit I'll play, I'll play a clip for you guys and you can see how it immediately makes you uncomfortable. Now, in we actually typically cut this frequency when we're mixing songs at the studio because uh, it makes people uncomfortable. They don't know why. They just get anxious or depressed or dreadful. Um, and prolonged exposure to this frequency causes hallucinations to the point where it's suspected that there are naturally occurring frequencies in certain parts of the earth where this sound actually just happens naturally. And if you look, this is really where a lot of the ghost sightings on earth are. Um, wherever this sound is created, people tend to be a little bit more susceptible to these kinds right. of things. More sightings will happen. Um, now, there are people who say like, oh, this frequency is directly connected to the supernatural, where the much more skeptical class, the, the one I'm in, says that these frequencies actually cause the sightings. People feel uncomfortable, and then anything that goes bump basically they'll, they'll start hallucinating yeah um so if you guys want to talk about why we're so afraid of these frequencies ooh, i do yes tell um, me more it's it's actually evolution uh, that movie, son of a bit. Well, uh, I'm gonna David Duchovny. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Totally doesn't exist. I'm gonna put a cork <laughs> in this right now. This is a. This is a Christian household, and we will not be speaking <laughs> of evil Lucian. You're damn right. Here. But basically, uh, certain animals. Uh, I believe it's lions. Um, I can't remember. Tigers and bears. Yeah, I, 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 one of them is the tiger, and I'm trying not to say tiger. <laughs> You're trying to put a buffer animal okay, between tiger and tiger. Low-hanging fruit. <laughs> so, a predator. If it's going to be something that's evolutionary, it would be yeah, the older animal. So figure maybe Smilodon, the saber-toothed tiger. Yeah. The yeah. big cat. Yeah, basically, a lot, a lot of the big cats, their roar, um, which is a word I can barely say, uh, really triggers this frequency. So, I mean, we've evolved for so long to be afraid of this sound and now it's just not a factor really. yeah it's no longer as relevant as it once was i mean obviously if you got attacked by a lion that would still be bad but evolutionarily speaking it's not something oh, yeah. that we it's not it's like a vestigial organ at this point where yeah. it's not something we're encountering every day and now anxiety <laughs> you know whether it be a panic attack or just pure anxiety is a holdover from our evolution. It actually is the flight or fight response. Now, in mental illness, it, it happens, and the reason people panic and have panic attacks or anxiety attacks is there's nothing actually there to trigger the fight or flight response. However, that's what that is. Yeah, yeah. When you have an anxiety attack, you can actually chart evolution in the body uh your mouth dries up very quickly that that was a measure so that if you get hit in the throat while swallowing you will not die right uh your system floods with adrenaline you, you, you know an anxiety attack is specifically fight or flight mm -hmm. now that sound that is a roar of a big cat or another kind of predator triggers that fight or flight uh Response. Response. Thank you. 
And we interpret it as anxiety, yeah. which is specifically, like I said, why horror movies use it. Yeah, um, well, and I think that gets really well into, I think you perfectly opened up for sort of at least a perspective reason why we seek that out and why we want to go see horror movies and, and why the three of us spend so much of our free time actively looking for for that feeling is it no longer applies. You wouldn't have had uh, tribes in, in primeval Africa actively, constantly seeking out ways to scare themselves because this is their life. This is how they actually oh, live. Yeah. And now we've got, these, we've got this response and we have our amygdala that's controlling our fear. And it's, it's often dormant without any, without any artificial triggering because, and, and I think our bodies, like it, it, our chemistry, we want it. We, we want that that activity to, to, to oh, happen. Absolutely. And that's, and it goes also into becoming like jaded. Like if we overexpose ourselves to something that triggers that it starts to dull and it starts to weaken. And I, you know, I, I don't, that's not as, as scientific, but no, I think no, it, get, it, it definitely um, gets into why, why is it that horror movies are so popular, especially with people who say that they hate them? You know, yes. we all know people are like, I hate horror movies. They scare the hell out of me, but they see 10 of them a year by King choice. King wrote uh, fascinating I don't think anybody's gonna know who that is. Yeah. Um, he's some dude. He's really into baseball. Um, <laughs> he wrote an entire article about how about why we love horror, and it's basically exactly what you said. It's safe danger. Yeah. Where you sit there and watch horrible things happen to people that they make you care about, but you're completely safe. It would never right. happen to you. And that's such an essential part of it. It's any good horror movie. I were really we can rate bad horror movies by ones where you leave saying, "Yeah, I didn't really care that that guy got chewed up by that monster." We don't. That doesn't hit the spot. We're 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 uh, very let down by that when we don't say, "Oh, I love that guy." If you think about shows like The Walking Dead that are constantly killing off characters. That you can always see, you know, the water cooler conversations after they've killed off a really ancillary character, and people weren't bothered or afraid by moments where some fodder character eats it, but when someone who you feel you've let into your home and be part of your family gets it, it it triggers that fear actually more because because it's it's affecting you on a much more oh, yeah. like chemical real and, level. And that's also probably why people love shows like Walking Dead or. Game of Thrones, Boardwalk Empire, when it's on, because this idea that these characters, these people that you connect with, can just like like that are out of the yeah. picture. Yeah. Or like yeah. Bob's Burgers. <laughs> yes, like Bob's yeah. Burgers. People, main characters die on Bob's Burgers <laughs> constantly. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but like you said, it's a safe danger. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's something it it you get that adrenaline spike from right. it, but it doesn't. You know, you realize you're not in any actual. Yeah. Um, it's like Kenny Loggins told us, highway. To the danger zone. I think, yes. I think that's also So that's all the time we have. Thanks a lot uh, for listening in. <laughs> Kenny Loggins is going to take us out now. Uh, well, so I think, to, just to be mindful of this, so I think there's there's a lot of stuff that, that we can get into. So I don't know if there's anything major that you want to touch on, but I think uh, the other thing that I mentioned was decibels, and I found some cool stuff about silent chambers. So, yeah. so it could be something that we kind of go into. Lay it on us, brother. Yeah. Well, actually, wait. Before we move on, do you mm. guys want to hear those low frequencies? We do. Oh, absolutely. So we'll we'll add in a, a legal disclaimer later, but just play it, <laughs> and then we'll... Uh... <laughs> well... Uh, if anybody's dumb enough to be listening to this, they deserve it. What's probably going to have to happen... It, any speaker we have in this room isn't going to be able to hit those frequencies. Okay. We're going to have to use headphones. Okay. So if you want, we can embed it into the sound file. We'll like, do that, and we'll listen, and we'll, we'll yeah. discuss. So, so, yeah. so here's a question. I think this is a good thing to say on air because I know you've mentioned this before. What is the – I know often there's sort of times connected to these things. Is there a target time where we should feel some kind of – some kind of uh, effect. Do you mean from general exposure? Yeah, yeah. All right, so when I play this for you, these, these frequencies, I'm getting, I'm getting more known to them now from working in the studio, but they still have an immediate effect on me, one that I can feel right, right. away. Um, however, uh, it, it doesn't affect a certain population 
uh, a certain uh, number of the population isn't affected by it. So who knows? Uh, Nick could be really freaked out by it right away, and Ed could potentially listen to it all day and have no problems. Um, I mean, that's my but, jam. I, that's what I I queue it up on my Spotify every day. So. Yeah. But, frequency hums, oh yeah. But no, constant exposure. This podcast is brought to you by Spotify. So, you know, when I listened to it before, before we started recording, I, I immediately felt weird. I, it, it, the best way I can describe it is that it feels like you're anticipating something. It's like you're anticipating something to jump out at you. Right. Um, which was the sense that I immediately got. Now, what I'm going to play for you guys, um, I have two audio clips. One is just a 14 hertz pulse wave. Um, you know, I can play that for you. It's weird. However, what I'm going to play, the one I like more, is a sweeping wave that goes from, uh, I think, f 5 hertz all the way up to 20,000K or 20K. Um, I'm going to play you guys the first quarter of it. Will our ears bleed? Should we get some cotton? It's strange because it's <laughs> going to sound... It's going to sound like it's hurting your ears, but it's not going to be loud at all. Right, right. So let me... So it'll have a deafening effect to a degree. Alright, so right now I'm going to play you a 14 hertz pulse. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards I'll play you the sweeping uh, frequency from 20 to 70. But here's 14 hertz. So that's 14. Mm -hmm. It's almost inaudible on those headphones. Now I'm going to play you the sweep. That's pretty instantly terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very uncomfortable. Yeah, see, I probably have more reaction than I do. So that was 20 to 74. Um, so that, much like the uh, the shepherd note, that really, that as, as an illusion, it sounded like it was getting exponentially louder. Yeah. At least at first, but then it, it almost hit an apex where it's like my mind realized that it wasn't, so it kind of dropped off on like a sharp cliff, even yeah. though the even though the frequency was still ascending, it 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 kind of it, it's it was the barber pole thing again where it kind of seemed like, oh, it's getting so loud. And then next thing I know, not dropping off, but it's just I'm just suddenly at the bottom again. It was it was kind of weird no. sensation. Um now, again, I'm hesitant about the 14 hertz one because I don't think that these can hit it. The pulse um, didn't bother me as oh, much. It felt, it felt very uniform, so I think it, it, it didn't, uh, didn't strike a chord. I'm almost positive that that's because those headphones peak out at like 20-something. The pulse mm. is making me think of something running because that's what it sounds like. It yeah, sounds like I was almost... It be, I think because it, just the fact that it was direct into my earbuds it almost gave me the sensation of like a little bug kind of like crawling around mm -hmm. in my ear now the um the other one that one was disquieting yeah that one made me feel very uneasy and yeah i mean it's a pretty instant reaction yeah before that, it even yeah. really is and you are absolutely right i have definitely heard that or something similar to it in horror movies yeah now my guess is nick didn't have as much of a reaction because like i said there's a uh, percentage of the population that this doesn't affect as heavily where when i listen to that sweep i immediately get uncomfortable and i think ed did too mm -hmm. do you think so is there a direct connection i'm assuming there would be but is there a direct connection to just how sensitive your ears are because i, I feel like i've done a lot of damage in bands to my 
to my eardrums, but I don't know what the actual medical repercussions of that typically, are. Typically, no. No, it just, it's literally a, a mental thing. Mm. Um, so it has more to do with your brain chemistry than it does with your actual yeah, hear, yeah, with your exactly. ability to hear. Yeah. The, That's actually the, really interesting because I think that would go very much against what people would assume. If you think about, think about when people talk about like dog whistles and stuff, people would probably think about it in those terms like, oh, I just can't hear that because my hearing's not as good as a dog, where it has less to do with like how good, well, you know, for the, in this case with the frequencies... It's it's not about like oh I'm old and I'm losing my hearing. It's more about your the chemistry of well. Your, there's your also brain. that um, you guys remember the sound grenade app? Oh yeah, yeah that's that's a one. Remember I used to so we used to go to uh to our regular bar and I would turn on this app called the sound grenade, and it's just a very unbearably high pitch, uh, sort of on the cusp of human hearing. So. So now we're kind of talking about something different because we're talking about pitch. No, this is all psychoacoustics. Okay, yeah. So so we're so in the in the world of 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 that range. So it's a very very high pitch, and I would just turn it on, and it's not loud, but it's piercing because of how high it is. And what's really interesting is if you turn it on in a room where there's people who range in ages, it would be very very likely for the older people in the room to not have any problem because they can't hear it. And that's that was something that, that we would do. So I, we would be at the bar, and I would turn it on, and I remember one time, I think you must have been with us, when they actually came over and they found out it was me and they told me to stop. But for a while, we were laughing because we were looking around the room, and from way across the room, we could see the bartender and a couple of the guys that work there in the bar backs like looking around and they started walking around from table to table like trying to figure out where is that noise they didn't realize it was a person or maybe it's something wrong with the building and it was just it's just on that cusp of being imperceptible so it takes a while your ears are trying to filter it out i think because after a while you're going to say hey does anybody hear that and it might have already been playing for a few minutes but over, over the you know, it's it's sort of a sub-layer underneath all of the chatter in the room. Yeah, now and, that lack of hearing, that is deterioration. Right, as that's that's actual older, physical deterioration. Yeah, as you get older, you can hear less and less high frequency. Right. I'll use it every now and then to screw with my um, my younger brother. My brother is 16, and um, I, I hear it. I When it makes, the sound it makes, I hear it. It doesn't bother me so much anymore. It's not debilitating, but yeah. my brother, I can stand out in front of his room hit the sounds and I could just hear him turn it off <laughs> because even through the closed door and him he you know even screams away. that when you're not doing it yeah. well and it's really <laughs> it has problems it's it's a sibling biological warfare I mean it, it, it's when you think about the repercussions if you scale something like that and you you know we hear a lot about chemical warfare and we always think in these terms this sort of narrow view of of gas and things that that are familiar to us from movies and there are so many possibilities when it comes to auditory violence i guess and and that's something that is enacted upon us all the time by directors and and sound engineers that yeah. they're just in they're invading our heads the kind with, of thing with, if with these that, sounds if, you know people understood exactly what they were doing they might not be so okay with it yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and it is, and often it's it's in good fun, but there's definitely, uh, as we've kind of talked about, there's there's a degree to which you can take it that is actually maddening. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, like I said, it can lead to hallucinations. Um, in a very small percent of the population uh, who are very sensitive to it, it can actually cause seizures. Um, Neat. Yeah. <laughs> we should just go around town and see who... We can get seizures. Cause seizures in people? Yeah. yeah. I'm into that. I ain't got nothing going on tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So if you had a seizure listening to the to the tone, dial in. Call us next week and let us know about how that went for you. And send us your hospital bill. You can sue us, but we really don't have any money, so what's the point? So I think we could kind of get into some different territory. Uh, I, I'd like to talk about the Orfield Laboratories. And Minnesota, I don't know a ton about it, but I think there's a lot of things that we could discuss the implications of it. Um, Orfield Laboratories is is a lab where they specifically work with companies to test products. So they have a quiet room. It's a chamber that is the best soundproofed in the world. It's the quietest place on earth at negative nine decibels. 
and what I was reading from their own website, so a quiet library or maybe your room at night when you've got the TV turned off and you're just reading is around 30 decibels, and now we're talking about negative 9. So it's a level of silence that you couldn't possibly find anywhere else on Earth. No matter, you could be standing in the middle of a field with a bunch with your fingers stuck in your ears just trying to block everything out and you won't be able to achieve it and they do this with you know soundproofing steel and and uh, all kinds of equipment and, and mesh and things like that so they use it to test products for clicks so really imperceptible things you know if you want to if you want to make your air conditioner quieter they're testing for the most minute little sounds what they like to do, probably as a promotional thing, is they is they have people come in and see how long they can stay in this room, and it's averaged out around 30 minutes that people, I think the max is 45, but the average is 30 minutes, including the guy who owns the lab, Orfield. He can only stay in there for about 30 minutes because the level of quiet makes your heartbeat and your own body, like mucus dripping within your body, just deafening just like disgustingly loud noises and i think that's really cool too when it when you think about really great horror because some really amazing moments in cinema have happened from that very careful use of of silence i know in the 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 current uh in season two of daredevil not giving anything away to anyone watching there's there's a moment where matt is uh very for a very brief period of time deafened and of course as a blind superhero who uses that as his power and not having his hearing is bad but they they you know they make everything go silent and they try to get you inside his head that way but it's a level of silence that we couldn't actually imagine because this is someone who's completely lost their hearing uh everything's totally flatlined so it's something that we can't it's it's something we really can't uh, replicate unless you are completely deaf. Yeah, people don't understand. You're probably thinking if you're sitting in a quiet room uh, that it's actually quiet. It's it's not. Uh, there's actually a cacophony of noise around you. There's, you know, the hum of electronics around you, uh, planes overhead, cars on the street, yeah. the sounds of the TV. If your phone is on, it's loud. <laughs> it's yeah, to, on a certain scale. It's loud. It's more that all of these individually don't add up to anything that you would really hear. But there's something called buildup, um, and I mean, even when we when we edit and mix songs, we will sometimes use software that'll go out and take out and mute basically the spaces in between notes that musicians are playing. Because even the space in between notes will build up and it'll actually add something like 15 to 20 decibels of sound. Like, it's that apparent. That's wild. So how exactly is that working? Is, is it picking up noise in the room and, and overcompensating? How, how does oh, the, yeah. the build-up um, happening? Uh, basically, uh, a bunch of instruments, amps and everything just on their own. Uh, They're just making noise yeah, no matter make, what. they make a small amount of noise. Then there's room noise, which... Um, it's very hard to describe to somebody what sound would look like, but like, you know, anything has reverb that bounces all yeah. over the room. Everything has what's called a reverb tail. Right. And that reverb tail is audible, uh, especially on microphones. And, and it's, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because I've been in, in sound rooms, um, and sound studios on a few occasions, um, I, I've recorded like a demo uh, for music and then also in my school we had a sort of makeshift room for recording sounds for animation went to an art school and we had a, a room that was simultaneously where we would capture uh, keyframes and frames for animation but we would also we also soundproof the whole room and I went in there and I wanted to test uh, recording some songs because I was working late uh, at school one night and I said I, I haven't got to check, check out the sound room yet and if it's something that you don't do all the time like Dave does, there's something so unsettling about about reaching that level of quiet that you can't get in a standard room that almost makes everything sound very wrong. Most people will agree that they don't like the way their, their voice sounds recorded because when they hear it played back, they think, well, that's not me. Because normally when you're speaking, the sound's coming from you and there's all kinds of echo and, and bounce happening within your own body that's making it 
sound different than it normally does. And it's just that to the nth degree. When you've, when you've taken out all of the other ambiance from a room and just isolate your own voice, every click uh, of your tongue and the sound of, of, you know, the saliva on your teeth passing by your lips, like all of these things are going to be picked up. And if you, and, and it just, it's just a matter of cranking up the volume to really hear these minute details. One of um, my experiences with the, you know, the notion of there being literally no sounds, um, my family owns a mountain house in um, north central Pennsylvania. And when I say mountain house, it is literally a house on top of a mountain. Um, very isolated. Um, there's people around, but not close, not exactly walking distance. And um, we spent a lot of time up there. And in the winter, when it snows, at night, when nothing is happening, on a clear night, there's no wind, everything is covered in snow, you will hear literally nothing. And like Nick said, it's very disquieting because when you live in not even an urban setting per se um even suburban when you're around people and machines and things constantly um you naturally start to filter things out but once you take them away it becomes very noticeable and even on top of that mountain there's life there is you know nature is making just an endless amount of sounds sure, around really. you and that alone that level of quiet it's it's just being able to take it all away i mean it's really it's it's like this to to your ears it's almost like the sound of the end of the world it's like if if you've ever had a dream i know i i used to have these very um abstract nightmares when i was a little kid and that i always when whenever i think about this thing and try to imagine what it would be like i kind of go back to those nightmares because they were these sort of Visually, they were sort of just geometric shapes. Everything felt very flat. Everything felt very, um, very impossible. Like it was, you know, an M.C. Escher painting, but but flattened. It's it's you're you're existing in this two D space that couldn't possibly happen. And the sound that went along with it, I remember. I would remember waking up and I couldn't decide if it was completely silent or if it was just unbearably loud. And I think it was my brain, uh, something in my chemistry was have it was maybe not firing correctly because if you look into sort of our brain chemistry, there's a lot of instances on a day to day basis where our brains misfire. It's happening constantly. People say like deja vu is just it's a misfire. Um, You know, the neurons aren't connecting or, or whatever it is. And I think that's those are the moments that when you think about when you've waken up, woken up from a nightmare or you, you have a, a bizarre feeling of being watched or, or maybe you're driving and you, you snap your head to the left because it looks like something's right outside your window, there are these moments where something is, is capturing this impossible thing and that level of quiet is one of those things. Like if you actually, if that happened to you out of the blue and all of the sudden you went from what you thought was quiet to actual quiet, like absolute quiet it would it would probably drive you insane if that happened instantaneously oh, there'd yeah. be no way I'll, for your body to process i'll that. get creeped out sometimes in the isolation rooms because um, you can really hear yourself breathing i can't imagine what negative nine decibels of sound yeah would be like uh, i'd like to experience it yeah just I to would, say that i did just to know what it's like yeah yeah and and it's the weirdest thing because it doesn't sound like something no pun intended that would bother you like, you're just in a room that's very quiet and so quiet that you can hear your organs functioning. On paper, that doesn't sound like something that should be frightening. But then again, we've never experienced right. that. Right. When you hear your body working, usually it's yeah. because, you know, it's something's not right. Right. Or and you're it's the, super hungry or you're farting. It's the kind whatever, of... But, <laughs> and it's the, it's the kind of thing that you'd want to keep in mind. I mean... I, with that in mind, I kind of want to read, go back and read stories like the Telltale Heart, because obviously it's very creepy because Poe had a way of capturing intangible feelings in his words. But if you go back and try to read that, thinking about, really focusing on not just the, the fact that it's creepy that a dead heart is beating, because I think that's where the surface level thing that people go like, oh, what a spooky idea. But it's more about this nagging 
constant beat that never gives way in your life and that's you don't need to build a ghost story around that to make that to make that absolutely horrific all right, so I feel like that's a good place to jump off. Um, this episode, we talked a whole lot about the science of sounds and how that relates to spooky happenings. Um, and there's a whole lot more that we can touch on in this. Um, really, it's fascinating how much sounds affects our psyche, and we just have no idea about it. Um, so we'll probably pick this up with another episode, talk about some more specific uh, instances and the application of the things we learned in this episode. Um, so I would like to thank Dave. Um, so he'll Dave, be back. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah. I want to cover some of the the more specific stuff. <laughs> I feel like As, we, we lay the base now. Right. We lay the base. Thanks for slogging through it with us. <laughs> It'll probably be at least half maybe three quarters as interesting as that. So we're going to keep things going. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye!